Hi, I'm Josh Ledgard, and this is the On Growth Podcast from Kickoff Labs. Kickoff Labs has run a lot of campaigns for Web3-focused companies. The space is on fire, and today's guest, Jared Flam, runs an agency that specializes in the growth of blockchain companies. You'll learn how Kickoff Labs resonates with the Web3 audience, what sort of social actions you can drive with a contest, and why right-clicking on an NFT isn't quite the same as owning it. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the On Growth Podcast and give us a five-star rating. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in doing, sign up for free at kickofflabs.com. Enjoy the show. Hi, Jared. Hey, how's it going? Good. So for anybody listening uh, to our podcast, this is the Kickoff Labs On Growth Podcast. Uh, with me today is Jared Flam uh, from Dappery.co. He runs an agency that helps people grow a specific type of business. And I'm going to let Jared introduce himself and his agency and the types of campaigns, uh, the types of companies that he's helping people run campaigns for. Yeah, Josh, really appreciate being on uh, this podcast with you. My background has really been rooted in driving growth for startups, primarily user and revenue growth. I started at a B2B email engagement platform, really focused around optimizing landing pages for Fortune 500 brands. This was circa 2013, just as landing page builders like Kickoff Labs were starting to come out of the woodwork. So mm-hmm. I think Unbounce and Instapage and some of those other leading competitors. I now actively manage a growth marketing agency for blockchain projects. So thinking about how can you effectively grow a blockchain project, which is a little bit different than uh, some other typical types of uh, Mm -hmm. companies here. Cool. Can you uh, tell me how you got into doing growth marketing for startups in the first place? Were you running your own startup? Were you doing that as a side gig for a while? Like, how did you get into that? Were you an engineer? Like what, what led you to that, that path before we get to your current role? Yeah, sure. Great question. So I started off actually on the customer success side. So Mm -hmm. really thinking about how can we provide more value for customers for uh, B2B software platforms? But when I was doing that, I saw a lot of kind of this growth marketing aspect that Sean Ellis introduced around really thinking about optimizing the full funnel and not just the earlier funnel that you typically think about as a marketer. And Mm -hmm. so I really engaged with that and started working in growth teams across several different startups. So have had a lot of experience working with both large and small teams. And then organically, as I was participating with blockchain projects and kind of just being a community member and helping out. People Mm -hmm. started reaching out to me for advice, which slowly spurred into being an independent Mm -hmm. contractor and then building my own small agency to really cater to that niche Mm -hmm. of growth for blockchain projects. Well, and what makes blockchain projects so special? Like why specialize in that? There's a lot of different answers to that. (laughs) Uh, I think it's the transparency of the blockchain ledger is particularly interesting to me, but in terms of driving growth for blockchain projects, what's interesting is it so community oriented? There's yes. such a group of users who are so vastly interested in the intricacies of the technology and then also the applications of that technology. And mm-hmm. it's infective uh, in terms of that energy. Yep. Uh, and so as I kind of went down the rabbit hole, I started getting interested myself. But what I was really seeing is that a lot of project leaders weren't thinking about the friction points for users as part of their funnel. And so there appeared kind of an opportunity to help. Could you give us an example of some of those friction points that you've seen in those kind of projects? Yeah, I think the largest friction point that affects the majority of blockchain projects is just connecting to a wallet. 
And so for those who don't know, ha having a wallet online in terms of a blockchain project is like the place that you would store uh, your token or funds. And it's also the way that you generally interact with those applications. Mm -hmm. But the process of actually connecting your wallet is a little bit difficult from a UX perspective than what yep. people are typically used to. And so what you can typically see when you look at funnels of projects is there's this real big drop-off point where somebody lands on the website or the page or the application, but then actually connecting uh, maybe 20 or less percent actually go through the process of setting up for the first mm -hmm. time. And that's pretty universal across the projects that I've worked with. That's one there. And then also just given that a lot of projects are open source, there's just a lot less effort being put into identifying those UX friction points and thinking about kind of like UI design. Absolutely. When you're, when you're so technology focused, I think sometimes the project managers get caught up in like, there's this cool technology and look what we've done and not thinking about like people that don't understand the technology deeply, like how, like what their flow looks like. So this kind of takes us to the point where we've talked about why blockchain and specifically what's interesting to you about block working with blockchain projects. Uh, can you tell us how you found Kickoff Labs or what you were looking to do with these blockchain projects that led you to Kickoff Labs? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So most people listening to this podcast probably know that understanding your customers and their demographics and behaviors are really important for expanding your target audience. Mm -hmm. But what if you don't have much first party data? What if you don't know if you have product market fit, or maybe you don't really have many customers at all? That was an issue of a client of mine. And so they recently launched, they had very little data on their prospective customers. Because of this, we wanted to build an ideal customer profile based on the limited data that we had, user research and collecting some first party data without breaking the bank. To build that target audience, we actually trialed Kickoff Labs. And the reason why we did that is our hypothesis was that the incentive mechanisms that are baked into the Kickoff Labs landing page software it would lead to a higher conversion rate of email addresses, which is the primary action point that we wanted users landing on our page to take. Mm -hmm. And that users also sharing the page would lead to more visits, giving us more data, which ultimately allows us to target even better. And the way that we're targeting is we have a tracking pixel on the page that allows us to then uh, build lookalike audiences on platforms like Facebook. So just to back up a little bit, so you found yeah. Kickoff Labs uh, looking for to create a more engaging campaign for these customers to sort of trial. Um, could you get people to take additional actions, getting their email address, connecting with initial sets of customers for the project? And what you ran, um, what it says, I'm looking at one of this first ca uh, campaigns, uh, it says block pack giveaway, win a pack of NFT trading cards backed by real crypto worth up to $2,000. Enter your email below for a chance to win. There's a countdown and there'll be an image of this uh, for people listening to the podcast for watching on YouTube. There'll be a little um, <laughs> picture of it, but otherwise you can go to uh, the, the podcast page and kind of download the images from this, uh, from this podcast. And you were asking them to earn more entries, which in for kickoff labs means for every uh, additional um, action they're taking, they may earn somewhere between one to 10 extra points in or 10 extra entries, like if they had additional tickets in the hat, as it were, to win a chance to win the prize. And you're asking them to share on Facebook, 
like a tweet, retweet, share on Twitter, follow on Twitter, and ultimately join you on Discord. And that's the one you weighted the most heavily at uh, at 10 points. How did you go about choosing like what the actions were and how many entries each action was worth? Was it was that truly how you kind of viewed it from the weighting, what you wanted people to do? Yeah, that's a great question. So you're absolutely right. In terms of the weighting, the most important action that we wanted users to take was to join our Discord community. And that's primarily because we were building this community from the ground up. Discord communities are very valuable for blockchain projects. They're kind of universal in terms of sharing your FAQs, knowledge base, and also just talking with others who are interested. So that was the highest weighted action item. But what was interesting is we actually A-B tested if we had two or three actions, so a limited mm -hmm. number of actions, such as a retweeting a tweet, would that be more effective or would it be more effective to have lots of different actions with lots of different points? And what we found was the latter, that having a lot of different actions. So I think we had about six on that page. Josh, you can correct yep. me if I'm wrong. And what we found is that some users, and you I'm sure have seen this, would actually go ahead and fill out every single action therefore building even greater reach for our campaign. So it made yeah. sense for us to include the highest number of actions that were relevant. Absolutely. So, cause I like how you broke it out. I mean, you had like, like this tweet, retweet us, share it. Like it's broken out. So you created more opportunities for people to get engaged. And that's absolutely been the case since we've rolled out um, these kind of actions that are customizable is, is people will just like, will go through the actions and they'll share with a friend and then their friend will go through the actions and you get a lot more engagement uh, in social media this way. I want to back up a second to something you mentioned so that people don't miss out on the best practice here, which was that not only were you, the traffic going to the page, were you getting them to try and opt in and take these actions, but there's a certain number of people, no matter how great the conversion rate is, who just aren't going to opt in to a page. They're not going to enter a contest. They might be interested in the product or you know the ultimate launch. And in that case, you added uh, a Facebook targeting pixel to the page. Right. Yeah, correct. And, and that enabled you to create within the Facebook lingo audiences within Facebook based on people who are visiting your website. So you could both retarget people who visited and say, hey, you know, come sign up now that you know this contest is over, or come back during the contest and enter. Or as you pointed out, since you know those people might be interested, you can create a lookalike audience in Facebook of like people that look like this. So now you've got a much bigger pool to swim in because Facebook has so much data. They can say, oh, I can take these five personality traits of these people and generate you an audience of these like, you know, 10 million people around the world that, uh, that you should target this, uh, your next campaign to. Which is just an absolute best practice and everybody should be doing that on, on their landing page campaigns. Tell me uh, for the success of the campaign, did you guys have a good conversion rate? Yeah, yeah. So uh, actually, just to walk it back to the lookalike audience, I think the first point that I would want to share is that our CPC, our cost per click, when yep. using the cohort that we defined from that first test in later campaigns, campaigns that weren't even run on kickoff, was much better. So the cost of driving ads was better because our target audience was improved because of this campaign. And then in terms of conversion rates, uh, I think we saw over 30% on both of the two campaigns that we ran on kickoff labs, yep. which in my experience, you know, setting up hundreds of landing pages, running thousands of marketing campaigns is incredibly high. So that's what I was really excited about once we had tried yep. the tool that maybe this is something that we can continue to replicate because of the incentives and the mm -hmm. nature of the software. 
And you said ultimately you waited to join us on Discord. And I'd love to know, did people join you on Discord? Did you see an uptick in people going and joining the Discord channel? Yeah, so we weren't able to track it end to end of being able to absolutely yep. say, hey, this user came through the campaign and they also joined Discord. And that's just because of the nature of Discord and the way that we had set up our server. Yep. That said, anecdotally, uh, we did see a bunch of people reaching out and saying, hey, found you guys from this campaign. Is there still time to enter this campaign? So we knew that they were coming from Kickoff Labs. And then we could also see from the invite in the Discord action that there was a high velocity of users who were coming directly from that and landing on our Discord. Uh, so we set up custom invite for that campaign, if that's helpful. And so now I want to talk about how that led you to create the second campaign you ran. So the second campaign, also giveaway, also for winning NFT trading cards, also worth up to $2,500. Um, and in this campaign, you had a similar set of actions um, that, you had, that you had in the first one. It looks like you added the general spread the word to refer people to get people to refer friends. And you also added the leaderboard. And can you tell me what impact um, the leaderboard or anything else had on this campaign as different from the first one? Yeah, great question. So the, the two key differences between campaign number one that we ran on kickoff and campaign number two was that the targeting was optimized for campaign number two based on the, the first party data that we got from campaign number one, uh, as we discussed before with Facebook lookalike audience. And then the other additional feature that we added from kickoff was the leaderboard. And so yeah. what we did see was that there were a few people on that leaderboard who had referred a bunch of their friends. And the way that they yeah. rank on the leaderboard is that they're referring other people to this campaign. And then those people are then converting. Uh, we also saw all of our Discord people saying, hey, I've hit 160 points on the leaderboard. I think I have a high probability of winning this contest. Obviously, their language was a little bit less robotic than what I'm sharing here, but uh, <laughs> uh, we, we saw quite a bit of it. So we were pretty sure that the leaderboard was fairly effective and yep. would continue and recommend using those features if you are running that type of giveaway campaign. No, absolutely. For, especially for an audience in this space where you've got a competitive set of people for like in a new place like NFT space for blockchain, like we've seen a leaderboard be really successful in that space in terms of driving uh, driving participation. Sometimes it, it, I, I like the way you did it because sometimes people will tend to say, I'm just going to reward the top, you know, five people in the campaign from the leaderboard. And the challenge there becomes for the audience of the campaign, some people who come in on like even day two or day three of a campaign, they look and they're like, oh, I'm never going to get to 150 points. Like, even if it would be relatively easy for them to do it, they just sort of like, oh, I'm never going to be in the top five. But just having the leaderboard on the campaign is a great best practice because it in and of itself is a competitive thing that encourages people to take more action, even if it's not, there's no reward specifically for being the top one or in the top 10, other than you had better odds of winning. Exactly. And I think if you were running the sort of giveaway where there was one prize and some, and to your point, somebody comes and sees, hey, this person's already shared it with 600 other people, the probability of me winning is much lower. That could mm -hmm. be difficult. In our case, we set up the potential for 50 different winners. And yep. so we knew that it was going to be spread out a little bit more and that hopefully users wouldn't see that as a potential barrier. I want to ask you a question because this, uh, this comes up as well when people uh, ask or setting up a contest, which is 
how do you choose how many prizes to give away and what prizes to give away? Because I, one of the questions we get all the time is it's like, Hey, should I just give away one $2,000 prize or should I do like three prizes or 10 prizes? Like, how do you think about that challenge? Yeah, it's a really great question. In this instance, it's a little bit different for us because actually getting the cards, which was our giveaway prize into more people's hands builds mm -hmm. our network and there's network effects based on that that are specific to this project. That said, I would say for a typical campaign, that's a great A-B test, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you, depending on what you're selling, what the ultimate value of your product is and what you're thinking about doing, it's probably gonna look a lot different from one product and one platform to the next. And so mm -hmm. I would recommend A-B testing it and seeing what's yeah. most effective and then scaling up over time. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it kind of depends. I think in your case, the, the, the reason to do it is because there was a network effect of like, if you had 50 people that were getting experience and exposure to the product, then they might tell their friends about the product down the line. And so you wanted to encourage that network effect. Whereas if you were a store and you were giving away and you were, you just had some products, but there's not really a great network effect to like a clothing store, like necessarily, you might just say, I'm just going to give away like two or three big prize packs uh, for people each month, because there's not a huge network effect uh, in terms of like getting, getting people to say like, oh, just go down, get this other digital asset online. 100%. If the lock-in value isn't there, it's going to look a lot different. Yeah. Uh, hence why I think A-B testing always best practice. So I don't think we actually mentioned, uh, can, are you allowed to say uh, the company you were, you were doing uh, these, uh, these campaigns for and what they, what they do? I mean, yeah, I, I gotta, we got a sense because we've been talking about trading cards, but I don't think we've actually mentioned, uh, mentioned Elements. Yeah, sure. So the client in this instance, their name is Elements, and they're really building out a new mechanism for NFT trading. And what's interesting about their NFTs, I, I think the question that a lot of people get is, oh, another NFT, what is the value in that? Is that just a profile picture? What does that all mean, especially for those who aren't engaged with a lot of blockchain projects? The difference with Elements, which is really interesting, is their NFTs are actually backed by crypto. So it's actually a platform for potentially onboarding new users to buy, trade different digital assets, potentially stake those assets for additional rewards and really buy into, uh, or maybe trade their first crypto assets that they ever have because NFTs might be a little bit more accessible. They like the imagery, they like the game mm -hmm. aspect of it. So uh, I would definitely encourage any listeners to, to go check them out. They're elements.io, um, mm -hmm. really interesting project. And I have to ask, because uh, I get asked this all the time. So what, um, from your point of view, not about elements in particular, but just somebody who's really like interested in blockchain and NFTs, what's what's the value of owning the digital asset as opposed to like yeah right, look i can right click on the website right there and like now i have the image like of somebody's like nft like what's the value of ownership there for people who are getting in, into the space this is a little off topic i'm just kind of yeah no no it's, the question. I, I think it's i think it's a really valid <laughs> question and i think it's probably a lot of folks's first question when they hear yeah. about nfts it really depends on the project so some projects will actually allow you to use that NFT to get access to maybe a private membership or club. So it has some inherent value potentially in those use cases. Some projects, it's all around speculation. And I think that's kind of where those concerns come yep. about what is the real value of this. In the case of uh, elements, right, they're actually backed by real crypto assets. So the value of their NFTs are mm -hmm. equal to the value of the crypto asset that's shared on the NFT. So the actual image of it. 
would replicate the asset that you're owning. So there's real tangible ownership of value in terms of their mechanism. Mm -hmm. So I also have the coin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But NFTs just in general, digital assets that represent real world objects. So I would think about it less in terms of like the image that you're buying and more in terms of what does this fundamentally represent of tangible value. Mm -hmm. And that could look different from project to project. So what, um, before we, uh, before we wrap up, we talked about your two campaigns, what advice would you give somebody who's getting started today? Maybe they're creating their kickoff labs account and they're like, and they have a digital asset that they want to, that they want to promote or a digital brand or something that they're trying to promote and through a contest, like what advice would you give them that they should be doing, uh, that maybe we haven't talked about yet at this point? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the first advice is if you don't test, you don't know. And so uh, get up there, make an account. I believe that you guys allow for free freemium accounts with quite a bit of the functionality and features. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're thinking about, hey, I want to make a landing page for my contest or potentially like a waitlist landing page, and I don't want to go through the process of developing it all on my own, which is going to take a lot of bandwidth, Kickoff Labs makes it really easy to set it up. So you could probably have a pretty good looking landing page with incentive mechanisms done in, I don't know, half an hour. To me, that's kind of a no brainer. Try it out, set it up, see if it works Mm -hmm. for your audience. And uh, if it does, great, go from there. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we talked uh, we talked earlier about uh, about the value of testing, and that's just a huge best practice. No matter how large a contest you're running, whether you're doing it large or small, it's like you want to say like, okay, we're gonna run a small campaign first and work out the kinks. Figure out like you said, do three actions resonate with my audience or five? Do you know fifty giveaways motivate people to take action or three or the top five? Like which which works best? So a couple of even like you're getting started, just get started and pick one and think about it in terms of starting small. And then as you learn what works, you can go bigger and bigger with the contest. hundred percent. And I think one area that I see a lot of clients struggle with is they try to do everything at once. And because of that, they do nothing well. And so I, I guess my advice for somebody who is joining kickoff labs would be exactly to your point, Josh, which is start with a small campaign, keep it really simple identify what your hypothesis is. What are you really testing here? Is it that you're testing whether the conversion rate will be higher than your typical landing page? What does that test look like? And then run it and then expand from there as opposed to uh, going so deep at the very beginning and then giving up over time. That said, your guys' tool is quite easy to use. So (laughs) there is that. Uh, thanks for that. Lastly, if somebody is, uh, if a member of our audience is uh, starting or involved in a uh, blockchain project and they want to get in touch with you, how would they find you online and where should they go to, uh, to get in touch or just, you know, even ask a question? Yeah, happy to field questions, happy to help connect others or share a little bit more about uh, blockchain projects or growth. Uh, you can find me at dappery.co. Uh, and just use our contact form or Jared, J-A-R-E-D, at dappery.co. Great. Um, I'm looking forward to having this uh, having this published, and, I, and I'm sure we're going to get a great response. We, it's, uh, the blockchain space has been really big lately, and there's so many questions that people have. So I imagine that uh, you'll get some folks taking you up on that opportunity, and I look forward to that. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on, Josh. Yeah, thank you.